Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And this episode is the second half of our two-part conversation about physical therapy. Again, we are joined here with our favorite physical therapist, Natalie Spateri. In the first part, Natalie talked about what physical therapy was, what early intervention physical therapy is, and early intervention in general, and also what to expect from these early therapies. And now Natalie will move on to when our children become school age and what to expect in the school system. So let's dive right in. So I am on the intake team to assess um, kiddos that are going to be coming into the school system. And, you know, when I assess them, I'm looking at, I remember, you know, I was with you guys when Liam was getting assessed and I wasn't working for the school at that time. And now I'm looking back on that experience and what I do now. And what you're looking at, and I think I remember I told you guys, I said, you know, Liam's moving so well, he likely won't qualify for physical therapy (laughs) because he can walk and run. But um, as a physical therapist, when I see a a three-year-old coming in who has Down syndrome, I'm looking at, can this student, now they're considered a student versus just a child, you know, can this student walk into the classroom? Can they walk around the desks? Can they sit on the floor and stand up from the floor without anyone helping them? And can they do it safely? Do I have to worry about this kiddo if they get bumped by a peer? Will they trip and fall and hit their head? Or can they be bumped and still hold their balance? And and then I look, can this, this student, can they walk out of their classroom, maybe down three steps to a playground and keep up with their classmates? Or do they need an adult to hold their hand? So those are all things that we call restrictions. If an adult has to hold your, your child's hand, that'd be considered a restriction in my point of view. So does your child need that or no? Um, And can your child be on the playground? Can they go up and down the stairs and down the slide without somebody right next to them? So those are things I look at. So if I see a kid that is tripping all around the classroom, they, they, they can't get in the chair or if they're in the chair, they might fall out of the chair. If they, if I get nervous that if they're in line with their classmates, they'll get pushed and they'll hit their head. Uh, or if they're on the playground and they get pushed, then that student will likely qualify for physical therapy because they're not going to be safe. And a physical therapist is going to have to help the teacher and also help that student be safe and reach a point where they can be independent. But if you have students that are walking everywhere, they can pick up things, squat, go downstairs with the amount of supervision you would typically give a three-year-old because you definitely don't let three-year-olds just go down a flight of stairs by themselves um, when they're in a group. So if they need the reasonable supervision that you would give a typical preschool class, then they, would, they wouldn't qualify for physical therapy. In my experience, I've qualified maybe half. It's like half and half. It's give, some are excellent, some are just mild delays, and then some, like you said, if they're not walking at all, then for sure they definitely qualify for physical therapy, and we end up providing them equipment in school. What do they do if they feel their child has this uh, need but then is deemed that they don't have the need. Can you address that at all? I don't know if you can address that, but if you can. I can tell you in my experience what happens. Um, so if I assess a student and I think 
that they're safe to be able to access, physically access their curriculum with the supports that are in place in the classroom, then I'll make that my recommendation. And then sometimes parents disagree and are convinced that, you know, maybe, you know, my child, what if they do fall? Like, what is, what if that happens and then they get injured? And so in where I work, we have a meeting, you know, because it's a team decision. The not one person can override everyone else. So I will confer with the other therapists and, and also the parents and say, okay, if you really have these concerns, then we can, you know, do a therapy on a, I sometimes we call it a consult basis. So that way a physical therapy, a physical therapist has eyes on the student and can talk to the teacher and have an extra layer of support. That is usually what we do, but I encourage parents to really, you know, bring up their concerns at the meetings because what happens, I don't know if you would go into that later, the IEP, if you're going to have a whole podcast on the IEP. Oh, we have lots of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talk a lot about the IEP. When your child gets assessed, to I encourage all families to uh, ask for the reports ahead of time. Um, some of our families do and some don't, and maybe some don't even know they're allowed to ask for the reports before the day of the meeting. But I think it's very helpful to be able to read everything before you walk into a meeting and not get overwhelmed and then help you, you know, discuss your points better at the meeting. So for physical therapy side of things, you know, for me, it's helpful that a parent's already read my report and they can talk about their concerns with me at the meeting after already having time to digest it all. I think that helps for communication and helps to have a better plan for their child. But definitely just know that it's not, it's never one person's decision and, Suppose the meeting, at the meeting, they still disagree with the parent that obviously you guys are well aware the parent can definitely take it to the next level and say, we still disagree with this therapist and this team. We like this service and, uh, and they can see about getting it. But usually most therapists, in, in my experience, will try to work with the family because we don't, we don't want a kid getting injured. So we usually try to work with the family to make sure the child is safe at school. And, you know, everyone's IEP is different, but we found that you can kind of try to choose some of these hours. Let's say you get a certain amount of hours of physical therapy sessions. Some of these may be in the classroom. Some may be outside the classroom. Maybe you could talk a little bit about those two aspects of it. Yeah, for, for in California anyways, right? So for physical therapy, for us, it's, it depends on the student's needs. So if a student has a lot of a hard time sitting in a chair, to participate because they have poor balance or they have a hard time walking around obstacles in the classroom, then that physical therapist may do the session in the classroom during class time because we're supporting that student to participate in classroom activities. Um, But if the student is not safe transitioning out of the classroom, not safe on the playground, then the physical therapist will likely pull the student out of the classroom to work on those things outside the classroom but they also may work with that student during recess because in real life, this kiddo will not be on the playground by themselves all the time. They're going to have to be around other students. So the physical therapist will mix it up some sessions with no one out there, some sessions with the classroom out there and some sessions in the classroom. So for us, it's, we're always changing it up according to the child's needs and what their uh, IEP goals are. And you were talking about some equipment you use sometimes in school? Okay, yeah, right. So the big thing, if a student's not walking by the time they enter preschool with uh, school, is we recommend something called a gait trainer. And there's different companies that make different gait trainers, and they're very expensive. 
Um, if a family wants it in home, they definitely would have to go through their private insurance. But for school, the school will provide it for free for the student and it will remain in their classroom and they will have access to it all the time they're at school. And we also provide things called adapted chairs, which are, you know, if a student doesn't have good sitting balance, then we'll provide a chair that allows them to be able to sit without having an adult next to them holding them in a chair. So to allow them to be as independent as possible, but also to be safe. Can you describe the first device you're talking, you were talking about, the gate? The general term, we also, sorry, we call it an adapted mobility device, but a gate trainer is the other term for it. It's basically like a walker, but a, for children, you just you need more than the basic walker you see older adults using. These typically have four wheels. It has a harness around them. It um, can also support their pelvis if they need that help. So there's a lot more supports to help them walk. And as the kiddo gets stronger, a physical therapist will take away some of the supports. So my kiddo needs the pelvis support as they get stronger. I'll take away the pelvis, but they're still held in with their trunk as they get stronger again, then they'll end up just walking, holding on to the handles and have nothing um, tied to their body. So that's how we progress our kiddos who aren't quite ready to walk independently yet. Um, and then the goal, obviously, especially for my kiddos with Down syndrome, because I know they will reach this goal of walking independently, is to definitely start with something like a gait trainer and remove the supports until they're walking with as little help as possible. And it could be a big piece of equipment like that. Or also, I remember Liam having uh, just a step stool provided for him to wash his hands in the bathroom. Yes, yes. And uh, I, I helped you with that, I remember. <laughs> For us, right, accessing a bathroom. So, and because Liam was already not, this was outside of preschool age. So now the toilets are bigger. So uh, we, the physical therapist will work on providing supports for toileting as well. If a student needs help, we, the big thing we provide is they call it adapted toileting chairs. Liam was already kind of too, he was already had good balance and didn't need this, but you, um, we have adapted toileting chairs that these are these things that sit on the toilet that have handles that. You can allow you to put a kiddo on there and not have to hold them on the toilet as they're going to the bathroom. What are some of the things that parents can do at home to make sure that they're, you know, they're continuing to work? With, with Sophia, with speech, she was always working. And I didn't want to put her in one more speech class. So I instead put her in improv to help her with talking, to help her with articulation, to help her to speak around her peers. So that's the, that's the only thing, that's what I'm trying to say. If for something that they can do at home to where maybe it doesn't seem like work, like, you know, because I, I feel like a masked, a masked therapy. That's what I'm looking for because I feel, you know, something to where it's like, Oh, this is fun. And they don't, we always joke that every toy Liam has ever received has been, Oh, look, this is for fine motor. Oh, great. This is for gross motor. Oh, this is going to help him cognitively. There's never been a toy has received that hasn't been purposeful. Like he's never received like, Oh, that's just, you know, just a toy, just a toy. Yeah. Um, so can you, are there some things that you can provide for parents that they can do at home that either is just something blatantly at home, a uh, physical therapy or something to where, you know, these things, uh, are, are going to help with the, like you, I think when you had us get him a oh, mini that, trampoline, remember that trampoline, that's the right. mini trampoline mm -hmm. and he loved, but it was still doing input and helping him strengthen. 
So yeah, it depends on the age, but you know, when I get school age kids, I, you know, I saw an outpatient, I would start telling the parents, like what you said about improv, you know, how about an extracurricular, you know, he doesn't need to be coming here to do therapy. So the big thing I recommend are martial arts for Down syndrome, for anyone, for my kids that have, you know, low coordination, martial arts is a big one I like because it's a non-contact, you know, the one, you know, at this age, at the younger age, it's non-contact. There's always a mirror. You know, it's not a super fast paced and you, the, the instructor can adapt it towards the kiddo's needs, but something like that is always good. I'm always a fan of swimming, uh, gymnastics, which these are all activities that more and more staff are becoming more familiar with adapting it to individual needs. And, um, I would also just tell parents, you know, do what you would do with any other kiddo in terms of going to the park, you know, don't let, don't come home. If there's no homework and let your kid just sit there and watch TV, like, let's go to the park. You know how we would go on walks in the neighborhood over, especially if there's lots of tree roots, walking over uneven sidewalks, up and down hills. I would always try to do lots of fun walks. Um, if you are stuck home, then I'm a fan, again, of obstacle courses, throwing couch cushions on the floor, having, you know, if you're doing an activity putting the puzzle pieces on one end and the puzzle on the other end or anything with pieces and just put a lot of obstacles in the way because that works on motor planning, strengthening, balance, um, just getting them moving versus just sitting. Because again, you always are wanting to work on the strengthening if you're, if you're wanting your kiddo to have better balance. Oh, I forgot. Obviously, a big activity I love is soccer because again, that's outside on grass. You can let your kiddo fall for the most part and not be too concerned, but it's a good whole body activity. Um, depending on the age, suppose if you're of a three-year-old, having a water table or a learning tower, something where they play in standing is very good because you're just working on standing balance and also just standing up is working on trunk strength and you know posture. So that's always a good activity to have at home. Basically any activity that keeps them from sitting on their bottom, you know, just doing nothing is good. And that way you're moving away from just doing PT activities, but they're doing, you know, age appropriate activities that are standing up versus just sitting down. Yeah. To giving us those things to do at home is, is, do you have, do you have any suggestions for Liam now age 10? <laughs> right. What do you guys do with him now? Is he doing extracurriculars outside of school or what is he doing after school? He, he, what you, uh, to be honest, he has a lot of homework and that takes up a lot of his after school window. He was in karate mm-hmm. and he loves to play ball. Oh, we play ball all the he time. He likes to swim. Oh, during the summer, he can swim and we play ball outside. And now, Liam isn't capable of swimming unaided. So that's something for parents to know that either he can stand, he's tall enough to stand in the shallow end and he enjoys that bouncing up and down. Or if it's a deeper pool or he wants a little more freedom, we'll put a life preserver on him. And then he moves his legs and his arms and throws the ball and has to move around even in a deeper part. And we don't have to be so concerned that we need to be there all the time. We're still in the pool with him, but uh, we can actually throw the ball with him back and forth. And that seems to work. We have some stairs in our in our home, so he's always going up and down the stairs. But we're trying to get ourselves in a little more of a routine of actually taking walks around the block. If you go with what he enjoys the most, we'll put on music and just say, dance off. And we just take turns dancing and Liam gets a lot of time to dance and move his body around. So that's one way to try to stay active as well if you're looking for creative ways. And that's what I recommend is to also, yeah, when you hit that age or older, you know, say, what does your kid like to do? Because I can do PT all day long, but if I'm not here all the time. So what does your kid like to do? And try to incorporate that into a movement activity versus just doing PT 
you know, repetitions back and forth, try to incorporate the, the child's interests, then they're more, you know, into what you're going to be doing versus, you know, going up and downstairs to do my activity. Do you think there's anything else you'd like to add? Was there something that you thought that, that people could really get um, information you thought that people could use? I would say the big thing is just advocating for yourself. When I, I have a, I feel so awful for parents, especially when I work with lower income parents and families um, who don't have pediatricians who are that great. I just try to encourage parents that there's no bad questions to really advocate for yourself and push your pediatricians uh, for the help that you need. And then also once you get that help to not be afraid to ask your therapist and question your therapists, because, you know, you are, for me, my, my, my patient's parents were my number one people I needed to make sure I was connecting with because you're the ones that are with the patient all the time. So if I'm not connecting with you, then we're not getting everything we can to help, you know, a a, a student or child progress. So I always tell parents, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions to anyone. I always push, ask anything because you'll lose out just by staying quiet. So I always think that's the number one thing to do. And then also now just social media, Instagram is a really great resource. If you really have nobody in your community that has Down syndrome for you to connect with, that Instagram is really a great way to find families, especially for a kiddo your particular age. There's a lot more resources out there to connect now with social media. I think you've probably gone through enough IEPs to see that sometimes a parent can come from a place of, well, I'm getting this service and just getting it seems great and I should be thankful for that. And then not pushing for more or asking for what else is there available. It's, it, and I think that mindset is something that can hinder the, the, uh, your capability of being an advocate for your child. You need to get past that and know that this isn't, this isn't some gift. This is just like you brought up idea. This is something that is federally funded and is, is a requirement for that school and that district to provide to your child. And if you come from that, that angle, you're more apt to ask those questions and push to have adequate uh, therapies for your child. Don't be afraid to ever ask or question because from our perspective, I'm used to being questioned and, you know, we don't get offended and it's, it's, it's part of my, my role as a clinician to be questioned and make sure that who I'm speaking to is understanding what I'm talking about. So I don't want parents to be afraid to question anybody about their child. Well, that's the difference in you. And that's why we always felt so fortunate. Not that I, and I know that there are great PTs out there, but that's one of the things that we've always felt so fortunate in was that the group of people that Liam had, it was you, it was Nathan, who was his OT and Caroline, who was the early interventionist. And we just felt so fortunate because the level that the three of you worked on and the place that you came from was really a place of communication and concern. And you had the same uh, goals for our child that we did, which is sometimes hard to match. And so I think that, that it, was, it was great for us because that was our foundation. And so anytime anybody brings anything less than that to the table, we're like, no, no. Because we know how great the supports can be and we know how beneficial they are to, you know, how they, how beneficial they were to Liam. It was, I mean, it just, it changed his life. It changed his ability. It changed his confidence. 
and it, it changes work ethic, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, we've been, we've, we've been so fortunate. And when you guys were talking about idea and advocating, the thing I think we forget sometimes is that people fought for that. They fought really hard. Someone's gone before and fought for that. So then now we can advocate and, and utilize those services. Mm-hmm. Man, I wish everybody had you as a physical therapist and I wish they had you I wish they had you early on too, because you are just such uh, a bright light and so passionate and so, so good at what you do. Like you really care. And I hope, my hope is that anybody who ever has any kind of uh, support and physical therapy just gets someone like you, if not gets you <laughs> like they get, cause even just the way you talk about sitting and it being, um, a conversation in an IEP and telling people to not be afraid to question you. And that's, I'm not, everybody has that. Not, that's not where everyone comes from. And it's just, it's, it's great for parents to hear that that's what it should be. And like you said at the beginning, we, you were either our second or third. I think you were our third PT. So we, <laughs> we are happy we didn't settle with the first two. Yes. Make sure parents know that, that they can always, <laughs> in school, it's a little bit different, but in early intervention, you can definitely find a better match for someone who's going to be on your home all the time. Yes, that's true. And if they're going to, you're going to walk them through the front door. You want to make sure there's uh, a good chemistry there. And I think what, what parents would could know too is that we watched you do. We were there at all times whenever you you did your sessions, and we watched and we tried. And you would give us things to do after and like kind of homework, and we would try to mimic you in our little session therapy sessions with Liam. You know, we would have times where we would be one on one with him and say, "Hey, I saw Natalie do this, and it was something he's really working on. Let's let's work on this together." And so it's really beneficial for parents too, especially that inner, that early intervention time, uh, when someone's in your home to, 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 it's, it could be very easy to say, great, here's your time with, with a therapist and, and I'll go get some stuff done. And that might be something you, you do do for half of the time, but it's but understandable too. It's totally so understandable. There's no judgment there. But if you can, if you can take some of that, that when they leave, you can take some of that and incorporate it in the rest of your, your life because those, those times that you're with a therapist are so minute compared to the rest of your, your time with your child. It, it's really, for us, it, it not only, I think, benefited Liam, it benefited us for peace of mind, just what do we do? And I think that I mean, you both of you were wonderful to work with because you're so receptive and open to what I was showing you. And then you were really great. Uh, also, you're, you were all great PT providers yourselves by doing everything and really putting everything into practice. So you made it easy also. It was okay with me if some parents weren't available, but definitely at the end of the session, I would bring a parent back in and say, okay, this is what we did. Let me show you. And then I'd I'd want the parent to try it themselves and I'd have them do it just before I'd finish. Because I I think one thing that just with, with parents and you're, and you're, you have a child who has a physical challenge, whatever that may be, um, that, has an impact on you as a human, as a parent. And so just, I think my goal is to empower parents and give them, like I always say, if I knew then, if I could give them that little bit of a breath or peace to know it's gonna be okay, it's gonna come and you're gonna get there and to not jump to the next milestone to be where you are. And I think with these things that you've given us and given them, I think that's a a gift that we'll be able to do that. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. If We Knew Then.